Today on the Daily Gator Daily Thought with me, Doug Hagen, we've got a survivor of a mass shooting that is praising God for saving him, and that's wonderful, but he's not going to press any charges against the person who shot him and several other people. Is that Christian? We'll look into that. We'll look in uh, into a, an opinion piece in... Uh, Washington Examiner by Quinn Hillier, a pretend conservative who says, don't cry for Kyle Rittenhouse, even if he's convicted. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit. And there's an attack now on the judge in the Rittenhouse case. I guess the left kind of sees the acquittals coming and the judge ripped into the pretend district attorney prosecuting this case. So I guess they have to go after him and try to cancel him for something. And what else we got, folks? Two parents, families, you know what they are now? Again, intact home, mother, father, married, all that stuff. Racist. Racist. Everything's racist. And you know what else is racist? <laughs> planting trees. Yes, planting trees. So I guess all the environmentalists are, uh, are racist now. All that and more today on the Daily Gator Daily Thought with me, Doug Hagan. Edition number 168. I may finally be back on a right schedule now. We'll see. Say your prayers, people. Say your prayers. And let's kick this pig. And away we go. Let's start out, my friends, with you evil, evil, evil people who are out there planting trees. Do you white mofos have any decency in you, whatever? Matt Philbin at uh, the Media Research Center writes, Hey, whitey. Yeah, you, the one about to spend, uh, to send cast your favorite environmental grift. Cease. Desist. White people should not try to combat climate change. Only black, brown, and various, quote, indigenous people can do it right. You damn white people. I know this because I read it on Vice, he writes. And if you read it on Vice, it's probably half uh, half at least full of uh, fertilizer. A delightful young person named Anya Zolodzowski has penned an article asserting that tree planting is a white person's solution to climate change. See, I always heard, I remember when the climate change stuff started, it was still called global warming back then till they, till they came up with a scammier name for it. But planting trees, the greenhouse effect, right? They had to plant trees because trees eat carbon dioxide and they give off oxygen. Humans, of course, in partnership with plants, trees, breathe oxygen and we exhale carbon dioxide so we kind of feed off each other if you will it's part of nature's design which is in my view god's design and i'll get into a some other point how i've been attacked several times because i i say i believe in evolution i believe the earth is billions of years old i believe in all that uh, i just believe that there is a god that designed this that's all. That's all I say. I don't believe the earth is only 4,000 years old, anything like that. I just say I believe there is intelligent design, that God designed things to be this way. Uh, 
I still get attacked and called all kind of names by people who are really into just the science, keep the religion out of it. But as soon as you express your view that they're right about evolution and the earth being billions of years old, probably about 5 billion, you agree with all that. Uh, you just believe there's a being that designed it. They freak out on you. It's amazing how tolerant these people are. Uh, what's white about it, this gentleman writes. I'm still not sure, but Zolizowski is an award-winning staff reporter at Vice World News. <laughs> That's like beating up, being an award-winning Cracker Jack eating champion whose reporting focuses on a wide range of social justice issues, including indigenous affairs. Hmm, indigenous affairs. See, I always have tried to avoid married women because you could get shot and you'd on some level probably deserve it. But uh, I don't know what indigenous affairs are. Sounds kinky. Uh, she also writes about race, politics, sex worker rights, and wrong. Believe me, there are wrongs too. I'm never getting that 250 bucks back. And the disproportionate harm experienced by racialized communities as a climate crisis worsens. So, the author writes, he has to trust her. And by the way, how do you racialize a community? Oh, I know. You become a leftist writer who focuses solely on race, everything, race, race, race. But, of course, that wouldn't racialize anybody, would it? Her articles come on the heels of a dopey social media episode where someone claimed that they'd plant a tree for every picture of a pet people responded with. Shockingly, they didn't have enough trees. Dumb situation, but Zolodiowski is here to make you think deeper about it. The reality, she says, is that tree planting initiatives are not always done right and are rarely subjected to meaningful oversight. The left loves oversight, which means micromanagement, which means failure. Have you ever checked if that trendy brand planted a seedling after you bought your plant? Whatever. Well, no. On the other hand, he writes, I don't think I own any trendy plants. But I guess a lot of white progressives do when they get trees planted along with their purchase. This is very much a PR campaign and the consumer doesn't have time to look up and check. Besides, a lot of this isn't uh, transparent and you can't find out. Tropical forest ecologist Robin Shazdan said, there needs to be an independent body or standards that regulate tree planting initiatives. The left, again, they love to regulate everything. Oh, uh, we need to regulate that regulator that's in charge of this regulation over here of this regulatory committee. We need more regulation. These people regulate everything. That's why one of the biggest reasons why they screw up everything they touch because too much oversight, too much micromanaging, too many idiots, too many hands in the cookie jar, too many hands trying to make the spaghetti sauce, so to speak. And it just screws everything up. Now, this gentleman who I really am liking, Matt Philbin, writes, oh, we need regulations to plant trees. Well, of course you do. 
You can't go to the bathroom without regulations. Don't you know that, Matt? I've got 38 steps to properly, properly relieving myself in the restroom. An oversight committee did it, and a regulatory committee checked them, and a regulator, under more regulations, regulated the posting of the sign so I know it's right. Correct? See what I'm saying here? Got to have more regulation, more oversight by dumbasses who couldn't figure their way out of a wet paper bag open at both ends. Yes, he writes, and this is where the whiteness thing comes in. Aha! I knew the white devil was in there somewhere. Tree planting efforts have turned into a frantic, another expression the left loves to use, Wild West! With many viral initiatives, especially the Instagrammable ones, proving to be the environmentalist version of a white girl screaming, This is my thong! At the club. Uh, They mostly just make us feel good. They also sometimes cause more harm than good. Wow. Sounds just like a perfect description of liberalism, doesn't it? Makes you feel good, and a lot of times it causes actual harm and not any good. He writes, damn white girls. Whether their intentions are good, heart is in the right place. It doesn't mean it's going to work, said B.J. McManama, an organizer with the Indigenous Environmental Network. Excuse me. I would say white is an attitude, not a color. It's an approach to life. It's skin color, dude. That's all it is. That's all it is. White people, am I right? Matt Philbin writes, we can't plant trees everywhere, higgledy-diggledy. Higgledy-diggledy. Piggledy. Higgledy-piggledy. What the hell? You can't even make, you got to make up new words if you're a leftist, folks. You have to make up stuff that makes no sense. That won't work. Renowned botanist Diane Beresford Kroger uh, told the Taiyi, we need to know what we are doing and you can't go all ass-wise about stuff. Ass-wise, is that like a smart ass? Because I do fit that description. My sarcasm precedes me. Now, Matt Philbin nails it here. I noticed this, too. She only said that to say the term higgledy-piggledy. Indeed not, because we could be exacerbating arboreal racism. You didn't know the arboreal world could be racist, did you? White people. Trees don't often get planted in the inner cities because of people planting them don't want to get shot. To spot Portland's wealthy areas, look no further than tree coverage. And Jeanette Brown, a recently appointed member of the Portland Urban Urban Forestry Commission, uh, told Vice News. Wow, I'm finally understanding, Philbin writes, the origin of the phrase leafy suburb. Not so the casual racism of the white people thing, unless it refers to progressive white people. Uh, I suppose they really are the pros at ineffectual posing and meaningless gestures. Oh, that's the truth, brother. But I do know this, he writes, the climate change true believers of the environmental left have no patience for planting trees or other economically non-destructive ways of helping the environment. And if you do, he writes, you too may be a white person. And it's all your damn fault. You tree-planting white racist. 
Now we'll get into the uh, white, uh, why two parent families are racist later. But I want to get a little bit into the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Now, somebody said this the other day, it's basically come down to this. If you support gun control and other forms of communism, then you think Rittenhouse should burn in hell. Doesn't matter if he's innocent, guilty, justified, not. He used a gun to kill bad people, so he must rot in hell. Because guns. Uh, if you're a person who supports the Second Amendment and other commonsensical things and the idea of natural rights, then you're probably thinking whether or not he should have been there, where it was the most judicious decision he made. He was attacked. He used his firearm in self-defense and he killed two pieces of filth and almost killed a third piece of filth. Again, if you've looked at the other McCain, I had a piece about this, about the ugly nature of the people he killed. Uh, one was a, a multiple offender of uh, sex crimes against children, apparently. And somehow he was walking around on the street. And also he'd just been in a mental institution and gotten out, I believe, the day before he was killed. And he was attacking people. He was a complete psychopath. In fact, there's video of him walking around Kenosha, uh, trying to egg on a fight with all the uh, uh, the militia people who had been called in to defend a, a car lot because his business owner had the damned audacity not to want his, his business destroyed by thug, uh, knuckle-dragging rioters. So this clown's trying to start a fight, and he kept on saying the same thing. Shoot me, nigga! Shoot me, nigga! Shoot me, nigga! And finally, he had to go to the effort of actually physically attacking somebody and trying to take the rifle away before he got his ass shot. And good, he shot. He was also a domestic abuser. His girlfriend slash fiance had a protective order against him. He was just a real winner, this guy. Violent, abused children sexually, beat up women. And yes, I think we can all say now that he's dead and gone, howl of freaking Louia. Uh, but anyway, the judge in the case is, well, I guess the left figures, since Rittenhouse will likely be acquitted, they've got to attack everything, especially the judge, because they want to gin up more riots. They want to gin up more riots, is what they want, because they want to, say it with me, kids, destroy America. That's what this is really about. At Bearing Arms, Cam Edwards writes, The Rittenhouse trial has offered us a steady stream of eyebrow-raising moments from both inside and outside the courthouse, but perhaps none of them have been as shocking as the off-the-cuff remark made by Judge Bruce Schroeder uh, shortly before the trial broke for lunch on Thursday. Are you ready? He's under fire. He's the cancel culture crowd is after him. The modern-day lynch mob posse's out to get him. He said this. Uh, apparently, they were going to have lunch soon, and they were waiting for some Asian food to be delivered. He actually said this. And, and you might want to have your children's and pet leave the room because this is really vile stuff. The judge said, I hope the Asian food isn't coming. Isn't one of those boats from Long Beach Harbor, he said. Oh, my God. You mean he didn't want his lunch to be late or not delivered? Uh, 
he wanted to actually eat. He just made a, a kind of a joke. Obviously, they're having a, the uh, supply chain issues, which Joe Biden will explain to all of us like we're little children, of course, even though he doesn't know what day of the week it is. Uh, but slow Joe will explain that all. So you have the supply chain and the judges, I guess the food's taking a little longer than he thought. He's just cracking a joke. Who knows? Maybe it's just a normal human being who makes jokes sometimes. He just says, I hope the Asian food isn't coming, isn't one of those boats from Long Beach Harbor. In other words, he wants his food. That's all. Cam Edwards picked right up on this. He said, my God, what a monster. I mean, clearly there must have been some sort of racial animus at work here for him to brazenly declare that uh, he hoped the jury's lunch wasn't going to be delayed because it was Asian food and we're having a lot of supply chain issues with getting product from our Pacific trading partners. So you see some jokes write themselves. It was a silly aside, Edwards writes, but not according to some of the left who insist that somehow, somehow this is evidence of Schroeder's, say it with me, kids, racism. Eric Feldeng, if I pronounce your name too bad, uh, he's a doctor, Dr. Eric Ding, on November the 11th, which is 40 years ago was really offended by the remark. He was, I might say, we might classify this as a severe case of butt hurt. Uh, he has the judge's uh, quote up in a little video there, and he says, racist? Me thinks the judge is. Murder trial judge for Kyle Rittenhouse says, and then he has the quote, what a complete joke and circus this is, uh, Eric Ding writes. How about Ding? Is there is it Ding Bat? Is ding short for dingbat? Because you're a dingbat. Uh, then he added a second quote. And yes, it is racist. The boats in the harbor are majority boats from Asia. And he said Asian food, which is a which further connects the, the Asian boats, is racist. Come on. No, you come on, dipshit. There's nothing racist. But he made a joke. You've never made a joke in your life? Well, you might not have, as tight as your ass is. But uh, shut up. See, all you little people with your little brains wanting to get offended over everything and microanalyze every word and every syllable of every statement everyone makes just so you can hopefully go ruin their career somehow. You people are pathetic. You're dangerous. You're lunatics. And for someone who's a doctor, so obviously you're a smart, sharp cookie. Oh, no, I said cookie and fortune cookies are Chinese. Uh, now, I'm a racist, I guess, Dr. Dingbat. But the fact is this, as smart as you have to be to be a doctor, to be this pity, these are like little children that never grew up. You know, remember that classmate from first, second grade, and the teacher would uh, would uh, say, I'm going to step out of the room. You be quiet. You behave yourself. So as soon as you came back, that little kid would run up to the desk and tell on everybody in the classroom. That's who these people grew up to be. Uh, dingbats like uh, the doctor here. 
Now, come on, Cam Edwards, right? It's not an argument that Schroeder's comment had any sort of racist intent. It was a supply chain joke. And those are big now, I heard, except in the White House. Joe will explain later, as soon as he wakes up. Stuff coming over from Asia are experiencing delays. The jury was getting Asian food for lunch. I'm speaking slowly, so Dr. Dingbat will, will pick up on this. So let's hope the Asian food wasn't actually coming over from Asia because it would be late. That's it. That's the joke. Either laugh, crack a smile, say, eh, it's not really funny, but oh well, and move on. And Edwards nails it when he said, what we have here is not a case of a judge making a racist remark, but the left attempting to craft a narrative in the case of Kyle Rittenhouse's acquittal by a jury. It's not that prosecutors fail to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Rittenhouse wasn't acting in self-defense. It's that the criminal justice system is inherently biased. And the judge had his fingers on the scale in favor of the defendant because racist. And that Rittenhouse's acquittal is actually an indictment of America itself because America sucks, signed the left. Again, exactly right. Just a stupid, 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 stupid narrative, which, let's face it, uh, most narratives from the left are pretty much just stupid. And here also, with since we're talking about uh, Kyle Rittenhouse and the jury... Uh, the final arguments have been made this morning. There was the jury, I assume, uh, maybe they're eating lunch, who knows, but they're they're going to start or have started their deliberations. And I don't think it should take them long. The, the video evidence, the testimony, there's nothing there that indicates that Kyle Rittenhouse uh, went out to murder people or he was anything like that. At 17, I wouldn't have done what he did. I would have seen the danger and I would have stayed away. Whatever that makes me, that makes me. Whatever that makes him, that makes him. But because you make a decision that some people may question doesn't mean you you then surrender your right, your natural right, your God-given right, and thank you, Lord, for it, to self-defense against thugs. But there's a writer... Uh, an opinion guy, Quinn Hillier. He's a commentary writer. So he commentates. And I haven't read, this will be the first one I've read by him. So I don't know if he writes stupid stuff or smart stuff or who knows. But in this case, he makes himself out to be very anti-Second Amendment, anti-gun, anti-self-defense. And he really is suffering from a behind discomfort. I won't say butthurt. That might offend someone's butt. But rear end uh, discomfort. Maybe we can say that. Derriere dysfunction. But he writes, no matter what a jury decides about the legal fate of Kyle Rittenhouse, who killed two people during last year's riot in Kenosha, Wisconsin, nobody should treat Rittenhouse like either a victim or an avatar of justice. Rittenhouse is at clear more fault for the two deaths. Uh, moral fault. I said that wrong. I apologize. Rittenhouse is at clear moral fault for the two deaths. He went into Kenosha that night expecting trouble and he grievously exacerbated the trouble he found. 
Really, Mr. Hillier? Well, I don't think you've seen the video or looked at the evidence, but what do I know? I'm not an opinion writer for the Washington Examiner. I'm also not a whiner. Uh, he continues, Rittenhouse was a vigilante. Vigilantism is benighted. He had no business being in Kenosha that evening. Indeed, by law, he shouldn't have stayed away. He broke numerous laws leading up to the killings, all of which add up to a greater moral, if not legal, culpability for the deaths. Well, he was 17. He uh, shouldn't have been out. Like I said, I wouldn't have done it. But he, this uh, car dealer who didn't want his car lot destroyed by thuggish rioters, who Mr. Hillier seems to really have nothing negative to say about the rioters. Odd, that is. He's such a conservative stalwart, he claims. So Kyle Rittenhouse was a person who went. Okay, his dad lives there. He lives about what, 30 miles away, I think it is. In Illinois, only 17, almost 18 at the time. He's 18 now. He took an AR-15 that someone gave him. It wasn't his rifle, I don't believe. Maybe I'm mistaken. But he went out to help people. He had a medical kit with him. He went out with the firearm to protect himself, as millions and millions and millions of Americans do every day. Ever heard of concealed carry? Ever heard of open carry? Ever healed, Ever heard of permitless carry? Sir, Mr. Hillier, uh, are those all people vigilantes because they carry a firearm? Apparently, you equate carrying a firearm for self-defense with being a vigilante. You really ought to read some of the founders' writings. It would be of, of large help to you. But anyway, he was accosted first by the multiple-time child molester who uh, did horrific things to little boys and had just gotten out of... Uh, a mental hair, a mental health care facility, uh, and was apparently trying to start a fight with someone. All multiple eyewitnesses and video show him attacking Kyle Rittenhouse, trying to take his firearm, and he was shot for it. And somehow that's Kyle Rittenhouse's fault. Somehow that's not the act of someone defending themselves, but it's someone who is an evil vigilante. Then after that, when he was chased by a group of people who were probably going to kill him and could have easily done so, while Kyle Rittenhouse, the noted vigilante, was trying to get to police, he was accosted. One man hit him with, in the head with a skateboard, uh, nearly knocked him out when Kyle Rittenhouse fell at some point. Rittenhouse shot him, and clearly what was self-defense. If you don't think it's self-defense, Mr. Hillier, let somebody get a skateboard and hit you in the head a few times and see if you don't die. So, yes, it was self-defense. And then another person came, had a pistol pointed right in the face of Kyle Rittenhouse, and Rittenhouse shot him. So that's self-defense. Those are not vigilanteism. Whether he should or should not morally have been there, whether you want to get into the 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 fact he was carrying a rifle at 17, those are side issues. The issues here, the important ones are, did he act in self-defense or was he criminally neg negligible somehow and was he wrong? And the answers are clear from the evidence. And that's why I believe firmly he will be acquitted of uh, defending himself. That's it. That's what he did. He defended himself. He didn't murder anybody. He didn't anything like that.
But listen to the evil things that Rittenhouse did that Quinn Hillier thinks he should pay for, I suppose. Rittenhouse drove without a license. Well, my God. Execute him. You didn't have a driver's license on you when you were driving? Lethal injection. No trial, I say, right? I mean, this this is horrible, Mr. Hillier. Mr. Hayer's right. Rittenhouse should die for not driving with a license. That clearly makes him a vigilante trying to kill innocent people. Are you really this stupid, Mr. Hillier? Don't answer that. He carried a weapon illegally. That charge, by the way, has been thrown out by the judge. But he's just a judge. He's not an op-ed guy that pretends to be conservative who hates self-defense and the Second Amendment and guns because he make him, make him uncomfortable, I'm sure. That's just, uh, he's just a judge. Come on. And he also volunteered, listen to this, he volunteered to protect a business that he needed a GPS to find on a map and whose owners he didn't even know and who hadn't asked for his help. The owner asked for help in defending his car lot, his business, his livelihood. Several people responded and were there. Now, if carrying around a weapon is so dangerous, how come none of these other, as the media says, militia types, hurt anybody during the during the uh, the riots? Only Rittenhouse, after he was directly attacked. That does matter, doesn't it, Mr. Hillier? He was attacked. But because he needed a GPS to find this place, how many Americans use GPS to find something? I was looking for a computer repair shop not long ago. I knew where it was, but it's it's kind of complicated because the sign is here, and I thought the business was there, and I kept looking and going. It was about half a block away, but I found it, and I used a GPS. Does that mean my computer didn't need repair? No, it means I used a GPS as millions and millions of Americans do. Maybe you can find a GPS, Mr. Hillier, and find a freaking clue. It might help. I'm just saying. Here's another reason he's guilty. According to Mr. Hillier's logic, the weapon was not a handgun that supposedly uh, someone supposedly providing first aid in a riot zone might carry for protection. It was an AR-15 style semi-automatic rifle. And you have to say it that way. They're such evil, evil guns. Hardly a reasonable choice for someone allegedly acting as a self-appointed medic. It is an an excellent weapon for self-defense. So are you a self-defense expert now, Mr. Hill? You're a legal expert. Clearly, you should be a a self-defense expert, perhaps. And Mr. Hillier doesn't stop there. He goes on describing what happened last night, and apparently he's not seen any videotape. Apparently, he's not looked at this case at all, except with his emotions Uh, The first man Rittenhouse killed was a homeless fellow, so pathetic, so sad, who ran at him yelling curses and threats while throwing at him an empty plastic bag. The man he killed, the uh, first man he shot, tried to grab his rifle and take it from him, wanting to kill Kyle Rittenhouse. Again, look up the word self-defense. Have an adult explain them to you, Mr. Hillier. 
Uh, I don't know where you get the empty plastic bag from, but this man, this poor, poor homeless man, this fellow, oh, this poor fellow, he was a multiple-time child molester. Very brutal things he did sexually to little boys. Sound like just a homeless fellow, Mr. Hillier? Fact is, you either didn't do your job, or you just don't care that this man's a child molester who shouldn't even be out of prison. When he was convicted of what he did, he should have been put away forever. Then nothing would have happened to him that night because his ass would have been in prison, rotting like he deserves. He also has severe mental issues. He was locked up in a psych ward until the morning before this. And after he got out, of course, he went and made contact with his girlfriend, who he beat the hell out of. That's why he was in protective custody. That's why she had a protection order against him, I should say. Again, he made contact with her illegally, and then he was out picking fights all night long, according to multiple eyewitnesses and video and audio tape of the man. But somehow he was just a fellow. And then he tried to take someone's gun, which is apparently classified now as throwing an empty plastic bag at somebody, according to Mr. Hillier, and he got his ass shot. Good riddance to him. Uh, but then it doesn't stop there with Mr. Hillier. The bias is showing. He, this guy really hates guns, help, help, uh, hates self-defense. Uh, after killing that man... Rittenhouse ran down the street with several people in furious pursuit. Rittenhouse tripped. He fell. And then what happened after that is a matter of dispute and differing interpretations. Have you seen the video, Mr. Hillier? Only an idiot would, would not be able to see what happened. All these people yelling, get him. First guy comes up, hits him in the head with a skateboard. You could kill somebody doing that. And so he's trying, obviously, to disable Rittenhouse and take the gun away. What's he going to do then? I'm sure he's just going to admire the rifle and ask Rittenhouse to sign it for him. An autograph. That man trying to kill Kyle Rittenhouse, which he could have easily done by hitting him in the cranium with a skateboard. Uh, Rittenhouse shot him in clear and absolutely undeniable self-defense. Again, that's a constitutional right. And then a second man comes with a pistol in his hand, pointing at Kyle Rittenhouse and charges at him. And Rittenhouse shoots him in the arm. And that man, by the way, eh, very radical left-wing communist violent group he's with. See, he was a rioter. He wasn't some peaceful guy out helping people with his little uh, medic bag. But again, in your world, Kyle Rittenhouse used a firearm and is embraced by the right wing, as you would label right wing. So he must be bad. He must be evil. That's called bias, Mr. Hillier. And whatever bias you have, you should be able to see at least part of both sides, shouldn't you? So don't argue this wasn't self-defense. It doesn't get much clearer, frankly, than self-defense. An expert on self-defense of the trial testified that it was self-defense. Let the, let the expert speak here. Uh, he also seems upset, Mr. Hillier, does it? Conservatives rushed to Rittenhouse aside, arguing he's a victim. He was acting in self-defense. But Mr. Hillier apparently knows what Kyle Rittenhouse was feeling that night. 
He was feeling fear, perhaps, but not really self-defense. I mean, hell, the guy beating you in the cranium with the with the heavy skateboard wouldn't kill you. No, he's probably just wants to ask direction somewhere or something. Uh, or get marital advice, perhaps. Who knows? Or, excuse me, while I hit you in the skateboard, can I ask what kind of shoes? Are those are really cool shoes. They look comfortable. I have bad feet. My arches are a mess. Can I can I give some... Can I can I ask my podiatrist? Do they prescription shoes? I'm sure that was it, right, Mister Hillier? I'm sorry, absurdity. Yes, I'm being absurd, but nothing close to the absurdity of the the absolute bilge that you wrote here. Rittenhouse, he says, created the dangerous situation. He created it. See, he was there. Some guy attacked him for no reason. He defended himself. And shot the man. He was justified to do so. Then other people were chasing him. And he, again, he acted twice more in self-defense, fear of his life. And somehow that's unreasonable. But Hillier writes, he's the one who killed two unarmed men. And unarmed men? Does that include the guy with the pistol pointed at Kyle Rittenhouse's face? Was he unarmed, Mr. Hillier? You hack. Seriously. Who prints this garbage in the Washington Examiner? Who proofread this and, and didn't call this idiot into the office? Excuse me. One of the unarmed men had a pistol. Here's video. See that thing? See that? That's called a pistol. It shoots bullets, Mr. Hillier. Who, even if these two men were not moral exemplars, Hillier writes, would still be alive had Rittenhouse not gone where he didn't belong while packing illegal heat. Well, let me ask you this. Since you raise the point of if Rittenhouse had not been there, he would not have been attacked. So therefore, let me let me hit you with this, Mr. Hillier. If these two men didn't try to kill Kyle Rittenhouse, would they still be alive? How about the first guy? If he hadn't attacked and tried to take the weapon away and likely use it on Rittenhouse or maybe someone else, would he still be alive? Okay, if you're using this logic, Mr. Hoyer, at least apply the same moral standard to all parties, if that's truly how you feel. I know how you really feel. You're a left-winger, and you don't like guns, and you don't like self-defense, and you think that that, uh, America's a bad place, whatever you think. I really don't care. But this is Bilge, what you wrote here. Seriously, if I printed this out and tried to wipe my behind with it, I'd probably get a severe allergic reaction. Others might say, he writes, that prosecutors seem inept, and some might note that the judge seems to favor Rittenhouse. By what? Uh, correcting the prosecutor on appropriate questioning in the Constitution? Or because he made kind of a bad joke about Asian food? Uh, the jury will assess the facts and come to whatever they seem legally right. But morally, or morally in a society in which a rule of law prevails through the consent of the governed, the vigilante is wrong. Again, were the other guys chasing Rittenhouse not vigilantes? Were they not taking the law into their own hands? Can you be consistent, Mr. Hillier? We know the answer, don't we? The man who knowingly provides the gun for the game of Russian roulette is depraved. Rittenhouse may not serve time for murder, but he deserves not an ounce of sympathy. My sympathies, Hillier writes, are with those who died of their loved ones. Well, 
we can agree on something. My sympathy is with their loved ones. That's a shame they had to lose loved ones. But where's your consistency? Where's your moral compass? Because it's malfunctioning, Mr. Hillier. And your truth meter doesn't even exist. What a joke. Now we have two stories left, my friends. I could go with a now breaking news that two parent families are now racistly racist. Damn white people. Or a shooting survivor decides not to prosecute, not to press charges or testify against the guy who tried to kill him because that's the godly thing to do. Let's go with the godly thing. Uh, this is from Bearing Arms, Cam Edwards, second time I've referenced him in this show. Great work, Cam, big fan of yours. Uh, Randall Stroud, Randell Stroud, I believe it is, could easily have decided to become a gun control activist after he was one of eight people shot in downtown Nashville. Instead, Stroud is trying to stop violence by changing hearts instead of laws. Uh, residents and visitors to downtown Nashville may run into Stroud today. It's Sundays when he hits the streets, delivering the message to those who are willing to listen. And this is basically it. Randall Stroud has been walking with a purpose, carrying a cross. He is walking from home church on Gallatin Pike all the way to the Capitol. He says, I've been living in East Nashville for most of my life, and it just seems like we as a society are getting worse, and we keep passing these laws, more restrictions, more restrictions, but things keep getting worse. Full agreement with him there. It's a heavy burden Stroud carries proudly. On the cross, names are written. People have been affected by gun violence, a death, or simply need prayer. This is my friend of mine from middle school who was actually shot in the head and didn't make it, explains Stroud, pointing to one name on the cross. The 22-year-old who shot Stroud allegedly excuse me, pulled out a gun over an argument about a dog. Ain't no dog that important, people. And then blasted away on a crowded sidewalk, leaving eight people wounded for Stroud, who was shot in the head. The experience was a wake-up call. And he talks about uh, learning he was shot, retouching his head and seeing blood, getting help from some uh, strangers in a nearby restaurant. Uh, and when police came to take his statement, one officer said, I was walking miracle. It dawned on me that I was this close. Well, I am certainly very thankful you didn't die that day, Mr. Stroud. It is a miracle, and it sounds like you would appreciate what God did for you. And you're using it uh, for some good things. I will say that right now. And it changed Stroud and led him back to the church. Stroud explained afterwards he spent several days researching uh, Crump, and his opinion of him changed. All the anger fell away from me. And I made a decision to drop my testimony and charges against him. In a letter to the district attorney's office, Stroud dropped his testimony against Crump, writing how he believes redemption is possible. Now, here's the problem, Mr. Stroud. You tweeted that guns themselves aren't the problem. I agree. I am passionate about that. I passionately agree. And I, pers I passionately agree that... God is the answer. God can heal every every wound ever. Emotional, physical, mental, whatever. God is the answer. <clears throat> God can solve every problem. 
I believe in God to the very, very core of my being. But this man, whatever else he's done in his life, could have easily killed eight people. And you're not going to testify against him? And you are not going to press charges against him? How does that help anybody? Does it help the man who did this? What if all eight people did what you did, Mr. Stroud, and said, we don't want him to go to prison? What you're saying is you don't want him to go to prison. Or maybe you figure you can take your stand. The other seven will prosecute. It won't matter. The guy will go to prison anyway. But still, when evil people are not punished for their crimes, their violent, murderous crimes, how does that help anyone who's a victim of that person or future victims or past victims or victims of other people who may emulate the actions of the man you don't want to see in prison, I imagine? Is that a moral stand? Or is that kind of like the pacifist that swears that if he came home and his wife was being raped, he could not condone himself acting violently? Sounds like a... Sounds like something I would call moral backwardism or moral insanity or moral idiocy. Because that doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, does it? How are you helping anybody? Praying for the man? Absolutely. Going to visit him in prison and counseling? God bless you for doing something like that. Trying to change lives? That's wonderful but not punishing evil or bad people when they do evil or bad things that hurt and could, in this case, kill multiple people. I don't see the moral justification there. I don't see the moral good in it. I only see moral idiocy. And Cam Edwards writes that uh, uh, he, he wishes he could say it would be as easy for him to make the same decision as Stroud if I were in his shoes. But if I'm being honest with myself, I don't know that I could. I don't know that you should, Mr. Edwards. It certainly wouldn't be easy for me to decide to drop charges and ask the judge to be merciful with a guy who nearly killed me. Well, if it was just you and this was a perfect world, it might be okay. What about the other seven people? What about their loved ones, family, friends, etc.? And what about the danger this guy could represent if he's walking around? I don't believe you're a moral giant, Mr. Stroud. I believe you're a fool. I think your intentions are good, but they're completely and totally misplaced. I applaud many of the things you're standing for and doing. God bless you, and God keep you doing it. I, I thank you for it. Uh, but this idea that you don't, uh, that you help people by not wanting them punished when they've tried to kill people, that doesn't make us safer. Uh, so there you go, and uh, enough about that. And finally, were you raised by a mother and a father who were married, who were heterosexual? I have to whisper that word. It's very hurtful to some people, I understand. Heterosexual. So if you're a part of a two-part family, Kendall Qualis has, uh, has some news for you. Uh from last month, this was at uh, The Federalist. Great piece, great site, The Federalist, for great commentary. Uh, really is a daily read you should look into, my friends. 
He writes, despite its name, the National Council on Family Relations uh, is looking to destroy American families. Well, they said they're National Council. Maybe that's part of their thing. They don't believe in uh, family relations. Families. Have you ever been to a family reunion? It's not good. You can get a lot of good dates if you're from Arkansas, though. I'm just saying. That's a joke. I love Arkansas. It's a gorgeous state. I know a lot of really cool people from, from Arkansas. And I hope y'all are still working in the uh, in the Texas oil industry, making lots of money. Uh, used to be at the airport in Dallas and uh, as a bartender. And these guys would come in like every other Monday, uh, spend a lot of money, drink pretty heavily, tipped even heavier. Uh, were great guys, fun guys. And uh, that's what they did. They flew out to Midland, Texas, and they worked in the oil business. And uh, for a couple of weeks, then they'd fly back. I think for a week, then they'd fly back. Then a week, a couple of weeks later, they'd go back. It was it was awesome. Awesome, guys. Hope you all are doing well. But this group, the National Council on Family Relations, the NCFR, they claim that the nuclear family consisting of a father, a mother and children is merely an extension of anybody want to guess? Come on. You know it. You know, you want to say white supremacy. That's right. That's right. Kids. Good for you. You know, the evils of white supremacy NCFR has joined with critical race theorists, hucksters and black lives matter thugs. In this outright attack on the foundational values and norms of American culture. But it's American. It's bad. America bad. That's what the knuckle-dragging left will tell you. America bad. Why are you marching today? America bad. Why is America bad? America bad. Why is it bad? I don't like America. America bad. That's kind of the depth of their uh, knowledge and intellect. NCFR has a wide reach. Founded in 1938, the organization publishes three journals, including the Journal of Marriage and Family, which they want to destroy, which the organization touts as the leading research journal of the family field. I think they mean in destroying the family field. The group's lamentable views on marriage will influence hundreds of marriages and family therapists and researchers across the nation. And that's a scary thought. NCFR's members come from more than 35 countries and all 50 states and work as teachers, program developers, and counselors, according to the organization's website. It has thousands of active members who participate in focus groups, discussion, and networking. NCFR also has 10 state and regional level affiliates and 26 student chapters at universities. And they really think marriage sucks. Uh, NCFR also produces research for lawmakers. In its most recent report, the 2020 annual report, uh, NCFR lists as its first program highlight is racial justice resources. Because racial justice and the th- rule of thumb, folks, if you hear a liberal say anything, anything, and it's immediately followed by the word justice, 
that's a front for communism. Run like hell. Don't give me money and run. In an announcement for a webinar that premiered in May titled Toward Dismantling Family Privilege and White Supremacy in Family Science. Yeah, only a left could think up such a title. I think it's any good. The organization offer offers continuing education credits for its members to learn that the field of, quote, family science is struggling with how it privileges certain types of families over others. NCFR introduces its webinars as follows. Like white privilege, family privilege is an unacknowledged and unearned benefit uh, instantiated instantiated, excuse me, in U.S. laws, policies, and practices, and are bestowed upon traditional or standard nuclear families to the disadvantage of non-traditional configured families, e.g. sole parents, uh, parent families, uh, unmarried committed partners rearing children together, grandparents raising grandchildren. Uh, there's nothing non-traditional about grandparents raising kids or aunts and uncles or there's nothing really unnatural about not uh, non-traditional about that. Uh, that's happened a lot in this country. Sometimes the parents something happens to them, and family members, sometimes friends, godparents, step up, step in, and and fill the role. There's nothing really non-traditional about that. Uh, non-traditional would be gay parents, and just so you know. If there's a child that needs adoption, the, the primary focus should be on getting, getting them into a, a couple, heterosexual, married couple, to raise them. But if no other parents can be found, instead of going foster home to foster home to foster home, uh, if you find a committed gay couple, I don't have a problem with them adopting them. And you can criticize me for that if you like. That's one of my kind of liberal views, I guess. I have very few of those. According to the NCFR, the nuclear family is now a vehicle of family privilege. So in other words, if you're a kid and you've got a mother and a father who love each other, they're married, you somehow have an unfair advantage. And you deserve to pay a price for it. That's what this is about. Punishing any type of success. Keys to communism, you punish success, you do away with the church, you do away with capitalism, you do away with the nuclear family. You do that enough and soon you have a nation of uh, where the state runs and is everything. And that's what the left wants ultimately. So they came up with this concept of privilege. It's unfair. Susie has a mother and father who have been married for, for 15 years, and she has this and that, and this other kid over here doesn't. So therefore, how do we fix the problem? Instead of trying to fix the kid with a broken family and, and help there, they want to punish the the kid in the that's that's uh has the privilege. And heaven forbid they would have family and white privilege. That would really be bad. Yet another new term in white supremacy, a structure that no longer is viewed as one that nurtures young children, provides them with stability and security, and prepares them for successful and emotionally sound adulthood. Yet nothing more emotionally sound than a bunch of left-wing nutcases who want to destroy the nuclear family. Those people ain't stable. They ain't normal. They ain't right. Uh, as they would say here in the South, uh, that boy ain't right.
that dog won't hunt. Yeah, exactly. That bird ain't going to fly. Exactly. Instead, NCFR now says the family of mom, dad, and kids has mistakenly been upheld as superior to all others. I wouldn't say superior. I'd say more desirable, definitely. The, the statistics show that kids in that situation are far better off. So why not try to get that for as many kids as possible? No, no, no. It's unfair, so we have to punish the kids that have it by taking it away. Leftism is evil. Again, example number 729. Uh, and kids uh, mistakenly been upheld as superior to all others and creates a systemic barrier, or barriers rather, to equal opportunity and justice. There's that word again for all families. So in other words, if you don't have your mother, father married, ideal situation, nuclear family, that must be taken from others because you're not in the best situation. Even though many people with single parents or raised by godparents or grandparents, aunts, uncles, older siblings, turn out to be tremendous children and adoptions as well. So just because the situation isn't perfect, everyone doesn't have the nuclear family in place. We must destroy it all so that all kids suffer the same. Notice the left wants equality, but it's equality of suffering they're perfectly fine with. Equality of poverty, destitution, hopelessness, those are great. They just don't want any privilege for anybody because they don't really believe in human rights. Because they don't value lives. Uh, in NCFR's webinar, the attendees will examine, recognize, and learn how to dismantle the manifestations of family privilege in our social systems by using an intersectional framework developed by critical feminists and race scholars, in other words, leftist agitators. Webinar attendees are expected to learn how to define family privilege, white supremacy, and apply a critical intersectional framework that can be used in one's work. And NCFR is essentially stating everything they have taught about family science in the past was a lie. Capitalist lies. Uh, because the organization failed to recognize family privilege throughout all these decades and now must acknowledge its guilt. After a 90-minute webinar, attendees, attendees are expected to have the ability to Dismantle family privilege in family science scholarship, teaching, practice, and policymaking. In other words, cause as much damage to families as you possibly can. People must pay. Recognize family privilege and white supremacy in research, practitioner, and policy settings, and reduce the ways in which family privilege manifests in family science and in society. Uh, go read it all at the Federalist. It's a great column uh, by Kendall Qualis. Uh, go read it all. He then gets into uh, how they teach this. Uh, and the data shows how dangerous this lie is uh, by the left. Uh, don't fall for it, folks. This is nothing but evil. Ultimately, it will lead to evil. So, therefore, it is evil. And those practicing it, pushing it, or whether they know it or not, yes, evil. And no, I'm not afraid to use the word evil. And my friends, that is it for me. Thank you for listening morning, noon, night, whenever you do listen. I appreciate you. I'm going to try very, very hard to be on the set schedule again. 
uh, six days a week. I think I've got computer problems. I have nothing wood to knock on. I'll hit myself in the head. That's about the same thing. Uh, hopefully the computer problems are behind us. Thank you for listening. Pass the word around. Go to thedailygator.com. Go to uh, the Daily Gator Daily Thought on Anchor by Spotify. Uh, sign up, be a contrib- contributor financially and subscriber. Uh, drop a donation at thedailygator.com. I've told you enough times how to do it. I appreciate you all. God bless. Take care. Remember the three golden rules of life. If you're left, you just ain't right. God bless America. And yes, still, go Gators. Next year's a new year. Just got to get through the rest of this one. Take care, my friends. God bless you. Appreciate you. Be good, kids, to each other. Say your prayers, eat your vitamins, all that fun stuff Hulk Hogan used to tell you to do. Y'all be good.